Chris, I feel like we have to talk about the fact that right before we hit record, you literally just said, ready, Freddy, and then laughed at yourself for being your dad. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I think being a dad is one of these things that sneaks up on you more than anything. It's not like you wake up one day and all of a sudden your personality is different. Just every passing week, you realize you're saying things like, all right, time for us to hit the road, kids. And before you know it, you're a dad. So I I said, uh, you know, we were getting ready for this podcast and I said, ready, Freddie. And basically, as soon as I hit enter, I thought, God, who, who am I? Are these my hands? What's happening? Do you have anything else that you know that you say that your dad also says? Oh, man. Well, I mentioned the hit the road thing. My my dad always said frappe la rue, like uh, kind of a fake, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fake French joke about hitting the road. And uh, I say that quite a lot. Um, even Steven, you know, things like that. Yeah. But I'd say frappe la rue is the one where as soon as it comes out of my mouth, the only other person that said that was my dad. And I just immediately associate that with him. My mom always has said and has maintained that my dad and I are twins just 40 years apart. (laughs) And so now we run with the joke. But the one thing I know that I do that ticks everybody off, my dad, sorry, my mom always complains that my dad never hears anything she says. Right. But then now my dad just turned that into a joke (laughs) and will say what multiple times in order to get her to repeat something, you know, especially if it's a funny thing. Or like, you know, she's imitating something or whatever and like makes a funny sound. He'll be like, sorry, like, what did they do? And she'll do it again. They're like, sorry, like what? And then, you know, and then, of course, it always ends with a slap on the arm or whatever. And I do that all the time. And my wife hates it. My coworkers hate it. My friends hate Everybody hates it. And every time I do it, I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I think it's so funny. But obviously, I mean, but that's the quintessential part of being a dad, right. like saying a joke is a dad. That's why a dad joke is just that is because the dad thinks it's funny, but nobody else does. Before you know it, it's going to be Thanksgiving Sunday. You're going to have, you know, your three fingertips tucked into your waistband. You're going to pat your belly and say, ah, that hit the spot, didn't it? Then all of a sudden it will have happened. The complete and transformation. And we will have arrived <laughs> at the finish line. That's so funny. righty. Well, speaking of uh, becoming dads, you want to get this thing started? Load it up. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. My name is Christian, alongside my co-host, Chris. We're excited to have you with us for another week. Um, Just before we get started here, just a couple of thank yous, as we always do. Our producer, Ryan, um, who without him, we would probably just sound like an absolute mess. So we we thank you very much. So quick shout out to him. Dole Whips and Double Doubles, the podcast, him and his wife, along with another Canadian couple, uh, tackle all things Disney. So if you're into that, please check it out. Michael Spicer of Michael Spicer Music. Um, please uh, give him your support. He's responsible for all of our sound effects. Um, That intro theme he wrote specifically for the podcast. So thank you so much. Vishal Murthy, vet cartoonist, um, a uh, veterinary neurologist, um, a friend of ours who is also um, a very excellent uh, brand and image guy. So thank you so much. And then, of course, our wives and daughters, without whom we would not be fathers, husbands, um, and better men. Let's be real. 
So, Chris, um, I thought I would start us off right away um, with actually a submission from a listener. Ah, and, excellent. Uh, this is monumental. So, yeah. And so uh, somebody, friend of the show, uh, reached out to the podcast with a dad joke that needed to be um, added in. And when he mm. typed it to me, I laughed out loud. Um, so I felt like it needed to be part of the show. So this dad joke comes from Joseph. Uh, and Joseph uh, asks you, Chris, how do you find Will Smith in the snow? Hmm. hmm. How do you find Will Smith in the snow, Kristen? You look for the fresh prince. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you for that very excellent submission. Well, Christian, just since we're uh, since we're rolling with this, let me hit uh, you with my favorite dad joke that I came across this week. All right. So uh, I went to a zoo the other day, but you know it it wasn't that great. There was literally only one animal there, and it was a little fluffy dog. Yeah, it was a shit zoo. <laughs> But I'm Chang. <laughs> well, now that we've now got just, our now I'm just picturing like this. I'm just picturing this like you know, big parking lot, big sign. You know, you pay the price of admission, you go through the gates, and you're like waiting for this like grand entrance or whatever. And it's just that's it. <laughs> it's just one dad zookeeper that's like waiting for the joke. You know, he's just he set it up so perfectly. Huh? Get you see you see the dog? You get it? It's a sh you see what I'm doing there. No, no, you see, you see, a Shih Tzu is also a dog breed. And then they go into over-explaining the joke, which is also part of it. So <laughs> Be sure to visit our gift shop. <laughs> it is really just like a, it's just the dad holding the dog. It's like a <laughs> selfie, just like on the shirt. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Chris, why don't we jump right into it here with our first yeah, kind of topic absolutely. of discussion. And uh, what I wanted to bring to the table today um, as we both literally reach for our coffee mugs at the exact same time. Mm, a rare morning recording of Dad Joke. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about communication styles between the parents of a child, but specifically how that has changed now that you are parents. Right. So now we just like, you know, my wife and I just use semaphore only. That's the kind of thing you mean, right? Morse code, like what are we, are we using? Right, telepathy. So? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So those types of things. So, um, and we'll get into the nitty gritties of mind control, you know, a little bit later sure. on. Yeah, but, future episode. Um, no, but the first question I'm going to start with for you um, is when you, perhaps over the process, maybe of, you know, finding out you're going to be a dad as that moment draws near, then your daughter is born and all this type of things. Um, in your mind, either subconsciously or otherwise, or maybe this was a specific conversation you had with your wife, are there certain things that you either knew or felt you wanted to avoid talking about in front of your daughter? Now, I realize, listeners, keep in mind, obviously, Chris's daughter is still quite young, um, but uh, the concept remains the same. Obviously, she's not going to be talking back to you just yet. Um, but, um, anything specific in that realm that you either yourself thought of, or maybe you had a discussion with your wife about? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the first part I would say we didn't, there was nothing that we talked about specifically. It's not like my wife and I sat down and said, these are topics that we're not going to discuss. You've alluded to one really important point there, which is that my daughter is still really, really young. And so I can't say that we've avoided topics of kind of complex and substantive issues. You know, we've gone through quite a lot of political upheaval recently and uh, you know it's a major health 
crisis and, and both of us are medical professionals. So we talk about those things a lot. And I, I wouldn't say that we shy away from those in the same way that we might shy away from them when she's a little bit older, you know, when she's a toddler or in elementary school, kindergarten, something like that, where we might be kind of afraid of how she might interpret those topics. Um, I am a believer in in uh, one one um, the thoughts of one educator. I'm sure we all have heard of her, uh, Dr. Maria Montessori, um, and that she felt that toddlers were um, sponges. You know, it's kind of one of her overarching themes is that they are learning more than you think they are. It's a very passive process, and they're absorbing a lot. So we're, we're very sensitive to that. But if I'm being honest, I can't say that you know, as she's asleep there in her bassinet, that we're, you know, my wife and I are not talking about complex or difficult issues. I think from a communication standpoint, what we've tried to avoid, and we haven't talked about it, which is what's interesting, it just almost seems a bit more subconscious, is that um, if we're disagreeing about something, um, I would say that we try to like we notice ourselves whispering, if that makes sense. I know it sounds silly, but you almost, you know, if you know your daughter's in the room, you almost find yourself just subconsciously lowering your voice um, and not not trying to demonstrate that. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if that's necessarily the right, the right approach. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways, and I'm sure we'll get into it during this discussion about um, kind of balancing those conflict styles. But I would say that what we, what we try to do is not argue in front of her. Not to say that we argue a lot, but if we are disagreeing about something that we try to whisper about it. I think as parents, we all try to avoid profanity. I think we all try to avoid dropping the F-bomb. Keyword is try. Like yeah, yeah, but it, it does happen. It does happen. Um, but I think certainly, I mean, before she was in the house, uh, you know, I wouldn't have any hesitation about using a swear word while watching us, you know, a game, a sports game on TV. Um, something happens, you drop an F-bomb. Whereas now I'm a little bit... You are a Senators fan, so that <laughs> right. probably happens, it happens more often. It's, than, yeah. it's gonna happen. Um, although they won last night, my goodness. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, I would say kind of avoiding profanity and maybe whispering during conflict are maybe the biggest things um, that I've noticed. Uh, what about you, Christian? Are there any other kind of thoughts or strategies you have on that issue? Well, you mentioned the idea of toddlers being sponges. And so I have quickly found myself in that exact um, scenario. So my daughter um, approaching two much quicker than I'd like to admit. Um, and she is a sponge. She picks up everything. And so I feel like now, whereas you mentioned maybe when I was at your stage, um, you know, of having a daughter that young, um, I would probably agree. Yeah, there wasn't anything necessarily specific because, again, most of the time they're like, you know, eating, sleeping or pooping um, and such a good life. But now, yeah, I think we are a little more conscious. You mentioned the profanity and, and that type of thing. And um, one thing I think I've noticed as well because the most time that we are potentially in that realm of having something potentially to avoid talking about in front of our child, those particular topics that you think of, is when we're all together. So, for example, if one of us comes home from work and we're eating dinner, so obviously we're all sitting around at the table. That's a natural time for conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, how was your day and that type of thing. Um, and so coming home after a long day, you kind of want to vent about something, potentially, whether it's a case, situation, whatever. Those are often laced with frustration. You mentioned profanity and sometimes. And so having to curtail that a little bit, not that you don't complain about things um, or, or, you know, have those 
let's just say heated discussions, not that it's an argument, but, you know, having those kind of heated moments. Um, but uh, you do have to subconsciously kind of do that. In terms of actual topics of discussion, I would agree. I don't think there's really anything that we wouldn't talk about, uh, meaning, like you said, whether it's um, politics, like you mentioned, obviously pandemic, those types of things. I don't really think there's anything specific that we wouldn't talk about um, because I personally think that it's important to important to talk about things. So having that almost subconscious um, teaching style of saying like, hey, these are important issues. We should be talking about them. So knowing it's okay to do so. But uh, Chris, if I could, uh, you mentioned kind of the argument style um, or conflict style and how you and your wife um, kind of maybe subconsciously whisper um, or lower your tone when you're going into an argument. You actually kind of beat me to the punch on my next question, which is going to be prior to having your daughter, what was your argument style or style of conflict resolution? Um, and then did you notice it change after your daughter was born or even when you knew you were going to become parents? But I'll start with the, the preamble, which was, do you guys, do you know that you and your wife have a particular kind of Boy. argument <clears throat> style? I know I say argument. It's not like we argue all the time, but, you well, know, you know conflict or discussion do. style. I mean, you and I have been best friends for, you know getting on 10 years now and we've had a couple of arguments I and mean, we've never argued oh <laughs> yeah know? no right yeah. So, <laughs> you know i think it's natural between between two people all the time i boy i if i'm being honest though i don't know that i've really thought a lot about what the style uh, of conflict and conflict resolution that we've had is um i mean it's probably an immature one you know it's probably one that's not very well thought out <clears throat> we don't uh, argue very much i would say what has changed absolutely unequivocally what has changed in our arguments um, since having a daughter is that they have decreased in frequency largely because um, you know I can't speak for my wife but speaking for myself I just I look over and I see how tired she is and I see how hard she's working and I see how much she has on her plate and I see how many reasons she would be she would have to be stressed in a day and I think it's just so much harder to look at that person and to and to argue with them about something, you know, and hmm. to uh, make their day worse. You don't you don't want to be part of the problem. And so I would say that uh, arguments have gone down because I, I think kind of going along with that, as you see her be stressed and deal with being a mom and and how how hard a job that is, one of the hardest jobs in the world. Um, I think. I think everything else just seems a little bit less important. You know, you're way less likely to argue about things that quite frankly don't matter a lot, you know, like the grocery list or laundry or whatever, you know, you're just, you don't want to be part of Perspective is everything. Problem. Yeah. And that's not to say that the stress and tiredness doesn't in its own way contribute to argumentation. I mean, when you're, sure. when you're on that edge and you're stressed about something, it's, it's quite easy for, for somebody to snap. Uh, but I think arguments don't become sustained because quite quickly you realize, well, we're just really tired and this is not that important and, you know, we're doing a good job. So I would say it has changed, definitely. But I don't know that it's a style of resolution as so much as it is an understanding or a different perspective on how important some of those issues are. What about yourself? Have you noticed, and you know, substantial changes in the way that, that you and your wife have, um, uh, you know, gone through conflict or resolve conflict since having your daughter? I, th I think you mentioned two really good points, which is which I was going to bring up myself anyway, which is going to be the idea of it being sustained. Um, so 
every once in a while, not so not not so often. Uh, my wife and I do like to, if you know, if we get into something, uh, we can be a little bit stubborn about it and don't want to give any ground, and sometimes that can drag on a little bit because we feel like we are wronged um, by whatever is happening. Um, but um, I do find that that has definitely decreased uh, as well. And as you kind of mentioned, you know, perspective and the stress of being parents and that type of thing, which is good. But then there's also kind of this inherent, not that you weren't a team before, mm. but there's this inherent kind of teamwork yeah. or teammate aspect that I think comes into this, right? Which is we could be disagreeing about something. Again, I know we use the word argument. It's not like we argue all the time, but just for lack of a better word. But you're doing it because you're stressed while trying to change a poopy diaper, mm. right? And so, like, sometimes you're just like, you know what? What the heck are we even disagreeing about while, you know, you're trying to be a teammate? And so that aspect trumps the idea of, again, the kind of maybe slightly pointless argument that you were going to have about something. So you tend to not push it to a side in the way of ignoring it, but like you mentioned, kind of re... Um, Relist or re kind of focus what the what the real perspective and point needs to be mm. um, uh, about a particular situation. But Chris, I was going to kind of go back to something you said, which was you definitely decreased in frequency just because you noticed your wife, you know, again, and yes, credit to our wives, you know, not only having one of the hardest jobs there is out there of being a mom um, and doing great at it, but then also working themselves in an already stressful career mm. um, on, on top of everything else, you know, pandemic and everything else. So, but my question to you is then how do you balance the idea? And you may not actually know this answer, which is okay, but I'm just curious because the initial thought I had was you want to decrease the frequency that you know, because you know how tired they are and that's everything, which is incredibly important. But you don't necessarily want that to be the reason that communication is closed off. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So do you have a scenario or how do you feel like you would approach a scenario where something does maybe uncomfortably need to be discussed, but you have to balance that against the feelings <laughs> that you brought up earlier? <laughs> I mean, it's such a great question. I mean, in so many ways, it reminds I feel like that's an episode in and of itself, right. it, but it, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll talk about it for just a couple of minutes right now. It reminds me of the you know, the, the typical 1990s stand-up trope. You know, we've heard it in a million sitcoms and a million stand-up comedians, which is the, honey, how do I look in this dress? You know, and so the first part of it mm. is, is this a topic that I need to bring up, first of all? You know, that I think that's one of the most important things. You said there will be things that you have to talk about that are important. But as a dad, I think so much um, of, of what changes in you is sort of an internal dialogue with yourself that maybe you didn't have when you were brash young in your 20s and you think, you know, I'm going to say say how I feel. Uh, there's Because you're a team, something that you alluded to before, and because you're together, there's this incentivization to, to teamwork where, um, you know, if there's something that needs to be talked about, you ask yourself first, do I really need to talk about it? Um, I would say in the way to bring things up, there's... I'm, I'm much more conscious now, like I said, of you are talking to someone who's tired, who's going through a lot. And so before, whereas you might have had that brashness to bring something up and say, this is how I feel about it, there's a lot more of kind of feeling, feeling it out and doing so in a more gentle way and understanding whether it truly is important and questioning in yourself 
how how much how important it really is to you you know is this a deal breaker for you is this something that you really need to talk about and, and how much of an issue it is um, I guess I'm thankful that I think before you have a kid it's really really important to talk about the really important sort of life-changing things about how you would hypothetically raise a child you know education being a really big one um, kind of life values and provided you're on the same page about that really all of the rest of this discussion becomes about little practical things you know we in our last episode we talked about uh, disposable versus non-disposable diapers and you and your partner may disagree on that but I think as a dad what I have learned almost more than anything else in the last two two years or so or sorry comparing myself to two years ago would be questioning whether it's even something that I want to bring up you know and how how important that is so I would say um, in how to bring it up I, I think it's more just first the first biggest step is saying do we need to talk about this and then the second is if we do be cognizant that the person I'm talking to might be on their very last straw of exhaustion today um, yeah I would say that how about yourself Christian it's a really good point that you bring up because whether you, I mean, obviously when you have a child together, I shouldn't say obviously, I mean, in our situations, obviously, you know, obviously the health of our child and well-being and all that type of stuff is going to be our priority for both of us. And so that extra layer is always on top of or added into everything that you do. And so you mentioned kind of the, does this need to be brought up that type of scenario? I'm now, I'm now just picturing the classic nineties sitcom dad and just like this really poorly animated bubble that comes up above their head in this like internal dialogue. Do I say it? Do I not? And then the laugh track happens from the audience, you know, that kind <laughs> right. of thing. Um, but I feel like it allows you to quickly move past mm, a lot yeah, of things. Absolutely. Whereas I feel in previous discussions, maybe again, without a child involved, there's maybe a little bit more of this drawn out, like, no, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to stay angry about this a little bit longer or something like that. Whereas as a parent, not only do you not have any time to do that because something with your child is about to happen and you're going to have to go deal with it. Um, but also that kind of perspective change of, yeah, you know what, this doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, not that it doesn't matter, but maybe it's not as important and doesn't require as much of your emotional energy as you might have given it previously. Yeah. Because, well, again, not only are you emotionally exhausted. Yeah, you have less parent, emotional energy to give in the first place. Right. You, you basically, yeah, not only do you have less, but then you also require, you realize that it requires less. Mm. So this thing that would have angered me much more, and that can be in all kinds of different scenarios. So whether it's work, whether it's something else. Um, I know we've talked in previous episodes about perspectives that have changed as a parent. There are things now that bother me much more, but there are a whole lot of things that now bother me much less mm. because with that perspective of having a daughter um, and her being maybe not my sole focus, but you know, you're one of your biggest focuses, of course. Um, a lot of those things you deal with those things a lot differently intrinsically. Um, and I think that that comes out a lot of times in the disagreement or discussion style, um, you know, that I, that I have not only with people, with my wife, 
um, but kind of just in general and how I react um, to certain things. Can I can I ask you a difficult question on on that sure. aspect? Because it's got myself thinking about myself, of course, a little bit and and what I can do better. Um, when you think about, you know, you're you're farther into this process than than I am. Um, when you think about, you know, conflict with your with your wife, um, what do you feel that right now, you know, looking back on the last two years, um, is there anything that you wish you could have done better? You know, because we're saying these things about how it's how it's good to have have less conflict or care less about these things. But of course, we're both imperfect. And I'm sure we've been in arguments over this time. Um, you know, do you have any advice for me, a younger dad in this process, about things that you kind of wish you might have done differently or, or better? Um, I guess I'll start off by saying I wasn't immediately as good about letting the little things fly. Um, you know, that in those early phases, you're just so tired and, and strung out that, you know, sometimes the little things almost seem bigger before you get a better fatherhood perspective. Um, or, you know, one thing that I kind of wish that I that I did more is instead of talking about an issue that exists, just go do it. Just go deal with the issue. Um, kind of absorb some of that stress rather than add to it by talking about it first, you know? Like if there's a chore that needs to be done and you're arguing about whose turn it is, just don't argue about whose turn it is. Do the thing first and then in a non-emotional time bring up, you know, whose job should it be to do that going forward. So now for you, looking back on the last two years, what do you think that you could have done better or differently? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you hit the nail on the head um, with kind of what you already mentioned. And um, I, I feel like we all will probably be at a point where when we look back, we we wish we could have been better husbands and fathers. And I'm not trying to make that in like a woe is me kind of scenario, because that's certainly not what I'm trying to imply. Well, it's a learning process, um, right? It's always. Well, a yeah, process. exactly. Um, and hindsight, of course, is is um, a very valuable tool here. But um, yeah, I, I, I think you mentioned it specifically and it was a big one for me which was the talking about it as opposed to just going and doing it um and i know we spoke in a previous episode about you know the roles and like hey who did more of the laundry and who did this that and the other thing and just knowing that my wife is so um wrapped up in being a mom uh meaning that she obviously has all of this added responsibility um, intrinsically of being a mother um, and she is phenomenal at it. Uh, but then that specifically means that other things that she either would normally do, you know, whatever it might be, um, are going to get less of her attention. And so one thing that I wish I could have done differently would have been realizing that sooner um, and being able to pick up those extra things quicker, mm. either without having to be asked or told, um, or like you mentioned, talked about rather than just going ahead and doing it. Right. Right. And, mm. and I think because, and Chris, I think one of, one of the very first things we even talked about, um, specifically throughout this entire process was the idea of if you can't take care of your child, take care of your wife, mm. um, yeah. because they, you know, there are certain things, unfortunately that we can't do, um, as, as men. Um, and our useless nipples and, you know, as an example, and so certain things like that. And so just being a little bit more, having a little bit more initiative and maybe a little bit more foresight into that, um, I think is something that I look back on. I, I mean, hell, I still struggle with it. Um, I think we all do. 
Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would say is just heading things off at the pass um, and just rather than allowing them to become issues. So being more proactive rather than reactive. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, well said. But I think the, I think the big point in all of this is just making sure that at the end of the day, um, both in the figurative and literal terms, um, you know, that the team goal is the same. Right. And I think that you mentioned a lot of it becomes the little kind of logistical details, um, which are always going to continue to evolve as your child ages, as your, as society evolves, you know, as things happen, you're not going to be able to do the same thing the same way always. Um, but just being able to realize that those little tweaks to the, to the overarching plan are just that. Right. They're just little, little tweaks. And in those tired moments that you're not literally turning those, um, you know, molehills into mountains. Right. Um, and because that's where things can typically fall apart and uh, from a stress level. Speaking of, of molehills into mountains, you know, I, um, you asked me an interesting question when we started this, this whole process of talking about this topic and, um, I'll get, I'll get into it in, in one moment. But one thing that I remember about my parents when I was growing up and their conflict was, not only did I very rarely see them fight, but any time that they did have an argument or disagreement, it was always about a, a thing and not about each other, if that makes sense. There were, it never, ever got personal. Like, oh, you're so like this, or you're so like that. Um, why, why do you act this way or anything? It was about the thing. It was about the garbage or whose turn it was to do something, you know? Um, and what I always remember was that they were... I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, very visibly always in love with each other, you know, always giving each other a hug and a kiss at the end of every single workday and everything. Um, and it, it kind of fostered in me an idea of that maybe conflict is about the thing and not about each other and not attacking each other as people, but rather just dealing with the single issue as it arises. And so the question you had asked me was, um, do you see value in having successful resolved conflict in front of your daughter you know as a as a means of saying uh, of teaching her you you asked me that question i thought it was a great question and it got me thinking about it because it's something that i've never really personally considered and so yourself now kind of uh, a couple years into this process do you um do you and your wife ever talk about that idea you know sort of uh, consciously having a a normal, moderated, dis, you know, disagreement that you then resolve in front of her uh, to sort of teach her how to how to look at an uh, as an idea separate from a person. Is that something that that you guys have done consciously? Um, I don't think we've necessarily done it consciously. And like you know, we had a, re a rehearsal. You know, uh, we had a table <laughs> read and a rehearsal, and then a, a dress rehearsal, and then we we're like, okay, here she comes. All right, ready. Um, but I think one of the things that we, over this process, have learned to do, um, and again, certainly not perfect at it. Um, I think a big kind of overarching uh, point of this podcast is we are just trying to figure this out as we go. Um, but I think something that we've learned in terms of, especially with now my daughter being the sponge that she is, is showing her how to treat other people by example. Mm. And so argument or disagreements are, is, is part of that. And you mentioned it specifically, it's not the person, it's the issue. 
Um, and at the end of discussing the issue, how you feel about the person hasn't changed. And so I think a big thing that we've we've tried to do is is just that is make it you know what you are going to disagree with people about cer certain things, uh, but that doesn't have to and in most cases shouldn't change how you feel about that person. Mm. And like you mentioned, the type of person they are should never come into question. And so something that um, I've intrinsically tried to do is, for example, is to just show my daughter how I treat her mother as an example of how somebody should be treated and vice versa. Um, as, as a daughter, I think my wife tries to um, show her intrinsically and subconsciously how somebody should be treated. Um, and I think that when you disagree with somebody, how you go about that goes a long way to show how you feel and how you act towards that person in general because of how you respect them throughout the disagreement. You can disagree with somebody very strongly with a heavy level of respect. Mm. And I think that that's something that's very important. Now, again, I realize she's, you know, not even two years old. So it's not like we're getting into, you know, major philosophical um, conversations in front of her about, you know, the duality of man or anything like that, or the duality of man, <laughs> if I may. Um, but I think it's, I think that's a really important point because as they grow, and I mean, my daughter is becoming on two. She's already into kind of that toddler meltdown stage sometimes and dealing with emotions and how to express them. Um, I think it's super important for them to grow up in a place where those emotions are allowed to be developed and expressed, um, but then also understanding them in the scope of how you respect somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, but I think that's a really good place to uh, kind of stop for now. Um, and so we're going to take a break here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Real quick, um, we'd love for you to reach out to the show. Um, our email address, dadjokeloadingpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter as well, at Loading Dad, um, and newly actually on Instagram at Dad Joke Loading Podcast. So certainly we'd love for you to uh, give us a follow, reach out to the show, subscribe, rate, review, all those good stuff. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back um, and Chris is going to lead us into a recurring segment and another topic. Again, this is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Chris. He's Christian. And Christian, let's just dive right into it. We've got our next Love recurring it. segment, uh, a quick one today, and this is a countdown. All right, so on this countdown, um, I'm going to be going through my 10 favorite TV sitcom dads. Um, nice. Now, this is not an authoritative list. I am not a television reviewer. Uh, I did not write a dissertation on this. This is essentially my personal 10 favorites, why they make me laugh, why they make me think. Um, and, uh, and we're just going to go right through them. All right, so I'm going to dive in with number 10, one that's near and dear to both of our hearts from the show Parks and Recreation, Jerry Gergich. Now, or is it Gary Gergich? <laughs> yeah, Gary Gergich. Gary, Terry, Larry Gergich. <laughs> so Jerry Gergich actually changed my life a little bit, if I'm being honest. I watched Parks and Rec for the first time, um, you know, the whole season, or sorry, the whole uh, series, um, when I was doing my internship. When I was doing my internship, I was sort of at the height of my my career uh, envisionment, if I can say that, looking forward 10 years, 20 years, and seeing what I wanted to accomplish in the field of veterinary medicine. And 
Jerry Gergich, for those who aren't familiar with the show Parks and Recreation, is a lifelong government employee who is the butt of everyone's jokes. But he has this incredible internal happiness because of how happy his home and his family life is. He has three daughters, all of whom love him so much and that he loves just as much. Uh, a beautiful wife that he loves and, and who loves him. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they joke that they go on a family trip to Muncie, Indiana every year. Um, and that's how he's the butt of the jokes, but he's so happy. And that changed my life a little bit in terms of thinking about life through the perspective of just being a happy father, um, as one of the main things. So, uh, underrated TV dad, Jerry Gergich. I think Jerry Gergich real quick is also, um, applies to both of us because the, one of the butt of the jokes is they have no idea how he ended up with just such a lovely, beautiful wife. <laughs> um, and so they, like it takes them the entire series to even figure it out. And I don't even know that they ever do, um, which is probably kind of similar to us. You know, people probably wonder how we ended up with our lovely, beautiful wives. Oh, unquestionably. Um, well said. Number nine, um, going, uh, going a little ways back now to the 90s, and I'm going with Uncle Phil, Justice Philip Banks from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Ooh, another Fresh Prince reference. Yeah, <laughs> that's two in one episode. Wow. We're batting over 200 on FP today. So um, on, uh, on The Fresh Prince, Uncle Phil was a, a unique character in that he was sort of um, an initially an unwilling dad to, to Will, um, but grew to become, you know, an incredible father to both him and his actual um, other daughters and son. Um, and I think it's a, a good lesson for all of us about patience and how to become less uh, emotional and forceful and try to understand other people and the perspectives that they're coming from. And I think Uncle Phil was, um, you know, for all of his flaws, was a great example of that. Number eight is maybe one of the uh, sort of more stereotypical dads from our childhood growing up in the 90s, which was Tim the Toolman Taylor on Home Improvement, uh. of, course, <laughs> of course, played by Tim Allen. You know, he uh, fathered three boys in, in that show. And I think uh, just so many of the little aspects about being a dad, you know, talking to his neighbor through the fence, Wilson Wilson. Um, we all need a Wilson. We all lives. need a Wilson. Um, so Tim the Toolman Taylor, number eight. Number seven, a show that I got into a couple of years ago, um, really, really mm. underrated show, um, and that's the show Blackish, and I'm going mm. with the TV dad, Dre Johnson. Um, nice. Yeah, Dre is a great, great character, and I yeah, think great character. he epitomizes you and me a, a little bit in that he is just trying to figure out his home life as he goes, and he's having this internal monologue with uh, as sort of the narrator of the show, and then he'll go to work and he'll talk about it with his work colleagues. What What is it like to be a dad? You know, give me advice on these things. And fundamentally, that's just what you and I are doing right now with microphones in between us. Um, and so very much he speaks to me in that way. Uh, number six and five are from the same show, my favorite sitcom of all time, Arrested Development. And I'm going with George Bluth Sr., uh, played by Jeffrey Tambor, and Michael Bluth, played by pop, Jason pop. Bateman. <laughs> yes, pop up. And just, I mean, they, they call back so much to George Bluth Sr. as a dad and, and him raising his kids and how he's a very imperfect father. Um, and then you see in Michael Bluth how he tries to be good. I mean, that is the thesis of the show, is him trying to hold his whole family together, um, be a good dad as a single dad to his only child, his son, um, played by Michael Sarah. And but throughout the show, you still see over and over these little references of how he is really just like his dad in so many different ways. Um, and I, I like that. You know, I like the I, it, in, in so many in a way that not every other show does. It shows the, um, you know, what you take away from your father and how you try to apply that differently 
with large success, but some failure along the way. I also like how throughout that entire show, like you mentioned, he just he wants to be so good all the time. But that just internal struggle of him trying to be this like model citizen for his son, uh, but then just cleaning up the mess that his (laughs) family has left in his wake. Uh, And now he has to do maybe some not so perfect things in order to do so um, is uh, is hysterical. One of my favorite running jokes that involves, uh, you know, an interaction between uh, Michael Bluth and his son is uh, this kind of constant callback of what do we always say is the most important thing? And he always asks his son, what do we say is the most important thing? But he changes the answer every time. What do we always say is the most important thing? Uh, family. No, breakfast. We say we don't need family. Oh, right. Sorry. Breakfast. The other one. <laughs> so George Blue Sr., Michael Bluth, number six and five, best TV sitcom dads. Number four, we're into the home stretch now. I'm going with, I think, an underrated supporting character, Martin Crane, father to Ooh. both Fraser and Niles. On Shout out show. to Eddie. Shout out to Eddie. Eddie, played by, I think, a dog actor named Moose, believe it or not. Yeah, one of the world's cutest TV dogs, that's for sure. Um, I always like Martin in the way that the relationship between him and his son grows and develops over the show and how they gain greater understanding of each other, dealing with topics that I think were somewhat uncomfortable at the time. You know, uh, Frazier's mother, Martin's wife, had passed away, um, and it was sort of negotiating Martin re, you know, dating again, and Frazier living with his dad but wanting to bring new relationships home and sort of negotiating this uh, living together, which I think a lot of people do. You know, we, we have some friends who um, live with their parents or or who have in the past. And, and that can be a, difficult to negotiate that balance. And I thought it was a really unique take. I love the show Frasier. And I've always, of course, loved the contrast between Niles and uh, Frasier to psychiatrists and their uh, policeman father. Um, I think it's also really um, maybe a little underlying kind of tone throughout that entire show, which is just the 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 nuance of Frasier specifically being like the radio host who like helps people with their problems, but then him also leaning on his dad Mm. for a lot of things as well. And him being his sounding board um, through their disagreements Mm. um, and learning from him while in that sweet recliner that he always sits in (laughs) all the time, Um, which was a, which was a really interesting concept between the two of them as well. Absolutely. Well said, especially when we get older, you know, as, we're now becoming parents or have become parents, but then, I mean, we are still sons, mm, right? And mm. so our, our dynamic with our fathers has changed, obviously, as we've gotten older. So uh, interpreting that new dynamic now that they are grandfathers um, and then kind of, you know, yeah. going through life that way. Yeah, so, we very think, interesting. We think of these relationships almost as they exist in a, in a photo type way, but they're actually f- films, if I can say it that way. You know, we mm-hmm. define our relationships with our parents based on kind of our life growing up between, oh, I don't know, eight years old and 18 years old. But it's not. I mean, it's always changing and growing and developing. And Martin and Fraser's relationship is a, is a good example of that. So number three, I know uh, a show that's near and dear to our hearts, finally got the recognition that it deserves, um, is from the Schitt's Creek Canadian show, by the way, Johnny Rose. played mm, by Eugene. Johnny Rose. Yep. I know that this is a show that you actually introduced me to, Christian, um, a show that kind of toiled in anonymity and on CBC and CBC Gem for a long time before just exploding in popularity in the United States. Um, one of the things that I like about this is that... Um, of this entire list, it's the only one where um, he is 
the father in real life to the actor that plays his son on the show. So they're a dad and son combo uh, on the show and a dad and son combo in real life. And a lot of people talk about, including Dan uh, Levy himself, how Eugene Levy was, was quite a great father growing up. Um, and, uh, and so I really like that interaction. Um, so I would say Johnny Rose, and I know you introduced me to an inter- interesting fact about the show, Christian. Do you want to tell me about uh, the other thing that I just learned today? Yeah, uh, so um, Eugene Levy and Dan Levy, obviously father and son, but Twyla, who is one of the recurring characters on the show, is actually also a child of Eugene Levy. Um, so Sarah Rose is Dan, or sorry, Sarah, no, Twyla Rose, Sarah Levy, is also Eugene's daughter. Hmm. So I did not know that. I did not. And it's actually a really interesting dynamic as well, because the show itself is really written mostly by Daniel. Mm. And so it's a really interesting thing that while the family being the Rose family is the focus of the show, a lot of the writing and everything in the directing and that is done by Dan. Um, And so for those of you who know Eugene's career, if you don't, you should go watch it. Um, He was obviously a second city you know, comedy legend, um, still is. And so having that as a father, but then him giving the space to his son to develop basically the show that has become, well, I mean, they swept the Emmys this year, mm. um, you know, is, is also a kind of really interesting behind the scenes kind of, uh, dynamic for them as well. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, well said, um, very unique as well. Not something you see in, in a lot of other TV sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us to number two. We're in the final two. And I picked a, a fairly minor supporting character, but probably the one that of this entire list has given me the most laughs uh, of the entire list. And that is Frank Costanza, uh, George Costanza's <laughs> father on Seinfeld. Of course, the originator of Festivus for the Rest of Us, uh, the Feats of Strength. That alone gets him in the top three, <laughs> I, know, I think. The, you know, The airing of grievances. Don't you throw away my water pick. Um, so many, so many great laughs. Um, Seinfeld, a very iconic show. Frank Costanza, uh, an iconic TV dad. And probably the epitome, like that relationship is is arguably the epitome of the like crusty old parent with the adult son. Right, right. Right, like right. trying to manipulate that as, you know, George is an adult, you know, trying to be an adult, but then still very much attached to his parents. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that brings us to number one on the top TV sitcom dads. Um, and this is a character that I think I've put number one because you and I can relate to this character a lot. Someone who we almost look at a little bit like a role model. And on the rest of this list, you know, we can't say that we're at the same life stage as everybody else. I guess maybe Michael Bluth, maybe Dre Johnson, but even them, you know, they're, they're a little bit further along in the process. And so I look at someone who at the start of the show is a dad to three fairly young children, and that is Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Nice. Um, you know, just the the depth and frequency of dad jokes, the constant positivity, being a cheerleader uh, for his uh, uh, son and daughters. Um, I think he's a he's a character that we would all strive to be a little bit like uh, if we can be. So number one on my top TV dads um, with no scientific basis to this Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. I think he is like you said, I think he's the epitome of us as a father, because like you mentioned, like just. The best of intentions, um, (laughs) but just with some comedic failures um, and just really him trying his best to be, like you said, a cheerleader, a supporter um, for his kids. And specifically, I think the interactions with his daughters, where a lot of the time he has just absolutely no idea 
what he's talking about in relation to how to raise a girl. Um, but hey, he just, he tries so hard. Uh, hey, he tries so hard. And just like him sitting on that couch and just like smiling and being just like, yeah, I did good. But then like he actually did not um, is it's refreshing. Hey, Dad, uh, have you seen my uh, leopard print skirt? I, I can't find it anywhere. Oh, I found a leopard print headband on the stairs. That's the one I'm wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to be able to live life as my daughter gets older with just that amount of um, peaceful bliss. Yeah. <laughs> of just being like, this is a headband, not a provocative outfit my daughter is wearing. Yeah. Yes. So that brings us to the end of our countdown this week, our top TV sitcom dads. I hope you enjoyed it. So now we'll talk about something a little bit more serious. Uh, we'll talk about um, what it means to be fathers. And I'm leopard print skirt. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a perfect transition because we're going to be talking about <laughs> worrying and worrying about worrying about worrying, but mm. more specifically, worrying about your daughter's well being, both physical and mental, and how much that takes up. Uh, of you. So I'm going to start with uh, probably the most topical aspect of this. Maybe one of the things that we think about the most that maybe we, we wouldn't have thought about two or three years ago for several different reasons. Um, and that is COVID. You know, we, we haven't talked a lot about COVID on this show because I think a lot of people are listening to, to podcasts during the pandemic to escape from, from the news a little bit. There's definitely been um, some COVID fatigue for sure. Yeah. So with uh, with all that said, let's dive into COVID. And let me ask you, how much do you worry um, about her getting COVID? You know, when I think back to the start of this pandemic, I was not a dad at the start of this pandemic. And I largely was thinking about my own well-being and not worrying all that much about it. Following the regulations, which are pretty strict in Canada, um, because that's the right thing to do, but not, uh, not really being worried about myself. I then came to be worried about my parents as we learned more and more about the uh, age groups that the virus was affecting. And then after I became a dad, I did really start to think about it. I started to think about my immunocompromised infants getting COVID, about being in a hospital. Um, and I, I totally changed to worrying about it in a way that I hadn't before. And I try to stop myself, um, but I'm not always successful. So with your daughter being a bit older, um, you know, and more interactive and, and maybe uh, spending a bit more time outside of the house and things, you know, how, how do you think about that, that worry? And, and do you find yourself having to catch yourself? You know, how does this um, how does this worry impact you? Yeah, so my daughter was born pre pandemic. Um, and then so we had a very young child as all of this started to come about. And we've talked about on previous episodes, you know, us not being able to see family, specifically my parents, um, you know, because of the border restrictions and that type of thing. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I think most of my pandemic worry actually focused on my daughter. You, you know, you mentioned us being in, in pretty good health, young men, not that we are immune, of course. So, um, you know, there's certainly, but it's one of those where it's like, I can fend for myself. You know, if I get sick, I'm fairly confident that I'm going to be okay in general. I'm not talking about COVID specifically in that sense, but you know, I'm going to be okay. But it's that feeling potentially of helplessness that if your child is to get sick, say with a virus or something that we don't know a lot about or, you know, that type of thing with just their little naive immune systems. Yeah, you worry incessantly about those. And so to be honest with you, pretty much the majority, if not all of my COVID behavior, if I can call it that, or COVID vigilance um, in terms of who we let into the house and, um, you know, this that, and the other thing was pretty much focused solely around my daughter mm. because um, 
you know, as as an intrinsic fatherhood feeling, I probably would have put her in a bubble if I, um, you know, if I could. But pre-pandemic, I was one of those people that I was just like, oh, I was, oh, she ate dirt. No, okay, like you know, she'll she needs to be, you know, little God made dirt, dirt don't hurt, you know, kind of thing. But I was just like with COVID, like all of that completely went out the window right. because we just didn't know anything about it, you know, um, and so. Um, I definitely had a huge change, at least at the front end. Um, and then once you realize, okay, you follow the regulations, you know, all those types of things, you know, it was, you, you knew that you could keep yourself relatively safe. Um, the United States, how do I put this politely? I think the restrictions in the United States could have been better. <laughs> how about that? Um, but, and so we had to kind of enforce our own. Um, and so that did upset some people. I'm not going to lie. You know, some people like, oh, we want to see Charlotte. And I'd be like, that's too bad. I don't care. Right. Um, because my focus was solely on her. Now you had mentioned something that was pretty interesting there. And I think, I, I think kind of extends naturally, you know, COVID is something that we never would have imagined, uh, dealing with as, as dads, you know, 10 years ago. Um, hopefully it's not something we will be dealing with 10 years from now. Um, but what existed 10 years ago and what will still exist 10 years from now is other types of regular routine infectious organisms, typically bacterial ones, um, less commonly fungal or parasitic or protozoal ones. But really, when it comes to bacteria, um, you know, as you know, my thesis work has been on bacteriology and sort of having a healthy microbiome and, and giving poop, uh, you know, either orally or rectally as a treatment in some ways. And so I've sort of been uh, pro-bacteria in our household, but I can't say that necessarily it's something that my wife and I always see completely eye to eye on. You know, we we are often kind of negotiating that balance between what's too clean, what's too dirty, you know, where where does that balance sit? And um, how, how often is sort of that balance between healthy exposure to low levels of pathogens versus overt infection and uh, sepsis and illness. Um, how do you, how do you manage that balance at home? Are you and your wife on the same page? Is it something that you kind of continue to, to negotiate on a daily basis? Where do you sit on that, on that fence? Well, first off, I'm going to say, I think you really kind of just scooted by with a statement that you just did your thesis on poop. <laughs> which yeah. is, um, I think, an understatement um, because it's actually a really, really fascinating and interesting area of study that doesn't get a lot of credit, uh, but that's for another day. Um, I think that my wife and I are pretty on the same page with a lot of this type of stuff. And that being said, and much like you and your wife, you know, both of us being founded in science, right, being medical professionals, um, having that additional understanding of what symptoms are, what bacteria does, what the immune system does as part of it, I think gives us maybe a little bit more of an objective perspective as opposed to just the always overwhelming emotional of like, is my daughter going to get sick? Now, I just finished saying that COVID threw all of that out the window for me, um, which I will admit, but I feel like that's, again, that's due to a lack of understanding of that particular disease. So, you know, for example, we don't get too stressed necessarily if let's say our daughter has a low grade fever, but is otherwise acting fine. Mm. Or um, like, for example, when she got her, my daughter got her MMR vaccine, they mentioned, Hey, you might notice fever. You might notice diarrhea for a day. That is normal. Don't panic about that. And sure enough, within 24 hours, She's a little bit flush. She had a fever. 
had a couple of decently liquid poops, and then was fine the day after. Um, and so in those types of minor situations, you know, in that type of thing, I think we're fairly on the same page that we want her to be healthy, of course. But you mentioned there's a there's a balance between shielding them from everything and not allowing their immune system to develop. And, you know, like you said, then literally just dunking them in a Petri dish, which, of course, no parent is actually going to do. Um, but I think I mentioned in a previous episode going to the pediatrician, you know, my daughter ended up with a staph infection, had like a skin rash, you know, mm. on her chin and that type of thing. And we went and dealt with it. And, you know, she got the treatment she needed and she was fine. Um, and just that kind of just baseline, maybe level of knowledge and understanding that we have not only between the two of us, but just with medic medicine in general, kind of allows us to approach that a little bit more objectively, maybe than with the overwhelming emotional reaction, mm. I guess. Yeah, that's well said. I think I think you've hit a, ver a couple of very important topics about the way that I think about it philosophically, too, which is um, it is important to target the known fatal illnesses like measles, for example. Um, you know, and I'm I'm pro vaccination in that sense. And so someone could argue, well, how can you be pro, you know, uh, targeting certain pathogens and then also th encourage your daughter to like play in dirt and eat it? Um, and I think those are two very different things. I mean, in, in a way, they're the same thing. What you're doing is trying to expose them to low levels of certain pathogens. But what you want to do is be extremely cognizant of potentially fatal infectious diseases. Um, and deal with those accordingly. And things that could cause gastrointestinal upset uh, that are natural commensal organisms uh, within the environment um, are, are a good thing to be exposed to. And so I would say that, that I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, targeting specific uh, infectious diseases for, versus sort of the general low level exposure um, that exists. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think. Yeah, nobody should realistically be like, mm, no, I, I, I want to expose my child to the measles, <laughs> right. you know, but like if they stick their dirty hands in their mouth, you know. I also don't think we necessarily need to panic about that. Now, right. a general level of teaching good hygiene, of course, it's very important. Yeah. But, you know, you know, so if there's, you know, something, you know, if she eats a Cheerio off the floor and I'm kind of just like, I don't actually know how long that Cheerio has been there. I'm not overtly concerned about that. Right. Um, but like you mentioned, with this potential severity, especially with unknown aspects of things, um, there's going to be a variance in your risk aversion. Right. Um, to those types of things um, in terms of how you approach them. Right. Absolutely. I, I think that's well said. And and so that that leads us in kind of to my the next line of questioning here, which you talked about not panicking when something happens. Um, and that kind of comes to the question of responding to issues. Now, your daughter is quite a bit more mobile than mine is, uh, given their stages of life. So mobile. <laughs> and so, you know, always at risk for bumps and bruises and scrapes and things like that. And so how much internally do you worry? Because this topic is, is more about worrying. How much do you worry um, about her injuries and how do you prevent yourself from over worrying or under worrying? Is that something that you're conscious about? How do you modulate your internal immediate emotional adrenaline filled reaction to her injury versus, you know, how much you're actually going to worry about her getting injured again in the future? Um, well, I will say that I don't necessarily modulate my internal reaction, but I definitely modulate my external reaction um, in that when my daughter hurts herself on the inside, I'm heartbroken. That might sound a little more uh, exaggerated than I mean it. But obviously, your intrinsic reaction is to rush to their aid. That makes sense. Um, but then there's also this level of maybe 
calmness and normalization to an injury that I think is also very important. So um, when my daughter is, as you mentioned, she's very mobile and sometimes her front or her top half gets going faster than her bottom half and she um, very hilariously face plants on the carpet. Um, you know, uh, once I stop laughing, no, I tease. um, you know, and you know, she, whatever skins her knee or brushes her face and she's crying. Obviously you want her to be okay. Internally, I'm making sure that she is okay. But on the outside, I'm also trying to remain calm as to, you know, make sure that she knows that it is okay to be upset. Um, it is okay to feel hurt or feel sad, um, about this. Um, and that is going to be okay because I think they feed off of that. And so we mentioned in previous episodes, their intuition, we talked about frustrations as parents and how do we modulate that because they are such sponges for that type of intuition. Um, so in that standpoint, if I freak out that level of overall anxiety in the situation doesn't help her. Right. Um, and so I think so internally, you know, especially at the beginning, you know, the first time she falls and she gets a bump on her head, you're literally like, oh, yep, that's it. Okay. Yep. I failed as a dad. Perfect. All right. This is over. All right. Where do we start over? Like, you know, um, but um, then as you grow with it, you kind of learn to be like, okay, not the end of the world on the inside. You're like, oh my God, is she okay? But on the outside, you're like, all right, sweetie, you know, it's okay. You know, let's, you know, whatever, whether it's talk it through or just cry it out or, you know, distract them with something funny or sing a song or whatever, just to kind of normalize the emotion uh, and the healing process. So I think internally, I don't think my reaction necessarily changes because my internal gut reaction is always going to be to immediately come to her aid and to her defense. Right. But the out or the external manifestation of that, I think, differs based on the amount of severity I want to bring or urgency, I should say, you know, that you want to bring to the situation, which sometimes requires calm and sometimes requires intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. I, I think, uh, I think it's important to strike that balance, you know, to, to show them that you, you care about how they're feeling, but then also, I think you used a good word there, normalize, you know, injuries happen and are normal and to approach it in, in a, in sort of a regular routine way. Um, but thinking about Something, you know, we, we're talking about urgent or immediate reactions and kind of that immediate worry to certain things that have happened. Um, when we're thinking more along the lines of COVID, that's a hypothetical. You know, it's a thing that is very unlikely to happen, but it takes up a lot of our brain space. So when we think about the future and, and things that are maybe perhaps unlikely, knock on wood, but that, that, you, that are going to take up a lot of your brain space is her future happiness and how you can be responsible for her future well-being, both physical and mental. So before we get to the physical well-being part, which is a really tough, tough question to to talk about, um, thinking about setting your daughter up for a future of happiness. I'll tell you one of the things that I worry about a lot is how do I both simultaneously encourage her to follow her dreams and, um, you know, pursue whatever career she wants and be intelligent and inquisitive without pushing her too hard. You know, I think I look at our profession a lot. I look at the medical profession and I see people who um, have pushed themselves further and further and sometimes don't know why they're pushing themselves that hard to the point of overwork, uh, stress and unhappiness. And I often think about and worry in the future, how can I strike that balance of making her happy um, versus letting her, you know, pursue, pursue accomplishment, you know, at her pace and set her up mentally. So I worry about that a lot. And I'd say it's something that I, 
you know, spend a lot of my brain power thinking about how to make her happy in the future. And I wonder, Christian, do you have, as someone who's a couple of years further down the process than me, any advice for me as um, in terms of how much you worry about setting her setting her up for happiness? And are there is there anything that you do to help, you know, just trust in yourself and in the process that she is going to be happy? Yeah, that's an extremely in-depth question, uh, which I feel like I could probably talk about for four hours without taking a breath. Sorry. <laughs> um, but um, no, it's a really, really good question. Um, but I think I'll boil it down to one kind of general thought, which is that my main worry and my main goal is that she always remained true to herself. Mm. And so I think a lot of my emotional focus stems from that. What the career is doesn't really matter to me. You know, what the salary of that, you know, what all, all those types of things, those, while they are important, are just parts of the over um, overwhelming theme, which is, is she staying true to herself? And whether that's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever that is, fostering an environment that that can be achieved and fostering an environment where she feels comfortable and safe to do so. One of the things I have learned from watching other dads who have daughters who are actually almost my age, so friends of mine who have adult daughters, some of which have children of their own now, and they are my fatherhood mentors, is watching them guide their children. Now, these particular gentlemen of whom I'm speaking all have daughters, but um, guide their children through life with the concept that they want them to be individual, they want them to be um, grow into the woman that they truly believe that they are um, while also being able to guide them and support them wherever needed in whatever aspect that is. And again, sometimes that's tough love. Sometimes that's the shoulder to cry on, whatever it happens to be, mm. but really just fostering an environment where they can develop and stay true to their core, right? right. Whatever those values are. So I think that's something, and again, my daughter's not even two. So I mean, you know, again, a lot of this is um, philosophical, but maybe the, you know, the details are slightly different because again, she's two. But now that she's definitely growing into this realm of emotional expression um, and kind of dealing with emotions and frankly, not knowing how to deal with emotions, that is um, hence the terrible twos that people talk about and the tantrums and that type of thing making sure that she feels like she is able to do so. Um, and so when she cries, not just being like, hey, stop crying, but really trying to allow her to express why it is the case. Mm -hmm. um, and because I always, one of the biggest fears I have as a dad is that my child is not going to feel comfortable coming to me with something. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that I was very lucky that my parent, I was always very open with my parents, um, never had a reason not to be. Um, and they were always very supportive and I was very lucky to have that. And, but I know that's not always the case. 
And so I think that's probably my biggest thing in her development is just making sure that she has an environment, a home where she can really grow and sprout into whatever she wants to be. Um, and I'm definitely going to push her. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm somebody that, you know, I want them to succeed. You know, we talked about the Phil Dunphy kind of cheerleader aspect. I definitely feel like that's part of my personality. I am going to challenge her to always be a better person. I think we should all challenge each other to be better people. Um, you know, I think that's how we evolve, but, um, I think that just as long as she feels able and safe, um, to really express herself and grow into who she wants to be, um, I think as long as I achieve that, um, I think the rest is in the details. Hmm. You know, that was very well said. You know, you're very, very eloquent in that explanation. And I think that's about as good as it can possibly be said, I think. I can't I can't really add on to that uh, better. Oh, I don't know. I think it can always be said better. But. <laughs> I was I was going to ask you a, a different question, but I think I think that's honestly just such a great place to, to wrap up the section. I was going to ask you about, um, you know, we're, we're both raising daughters and it is a very difficult world out there for daughters, for women, um, and how to, to raise her as an independent, self-confident woman who has the ability to stick up for herself, both physically, which I think is something that as dads, we worry about the most, you know, how sure. making sure for her physical well-being um, as, she, as she grows up, um, but also um, sort of sticking up for yourself in, in social and emotional situations. And, and in honesty, I think that in itself is a very deep topic that I think we maybe want to dive into um, with the detail that it deserves on another day. So um, I think that's a great place to, to wrap up this section, Christian. Thank you for helping me with my worries. This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We'll be back in a minute uh, to close out the show. I'm Chris. He's Christian. We'll talk to you in a second. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Christian alongside my co-host, Chris. We, uh, we're going to close out the show here with a, a new recurring segment that we're going to bring back every so often here, which I think is very important um, because we want to hear from you guys. And so uh, we are accessible in a lot of different forms, you know, all your podcast sites and apps. Uh, you know, we mentioned Twitter and Instagram as well. The email, dadjokeloadingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so we certainly want you guys to reach out with comments, questions, concerns, recipes, fashion tips, all that kind of stuff. Dad jokes, as we had a, a listener um, sent in dad joke to to kind of start off the episode. Um, and so we're going to chat a little bit about some things um, that you guys have said to us uh, in this recurring hmm. segment. I'm so excited. Uh, this is our first. I mean, not only have we had two Fresh Prince references in this episode, but also two separate listener questions or a, a listener dad joke and listener question at uh, this is so we know that means that we have at least had three listeners <laughs> right right which is more than i which is i mean two more than we thought we were going to have so <laughs> um so i mean at this point yeah i don't know how we get much higher than this but uh but uh, this segment is going to be called um the, the reason for this segment the reason we called it i we titled it this is because there's always this kind of hilarious joke about uh, you know, especially men um, and husbands and that, you know, not always listening as well as, uh, you know, as we should. And that's become kind of not we mentioned 90s sitcoms, dads and things like that. That's always been a, a topic or a joke that's always kind of, you know, they go back to the well of that joke. But this uh, this segment is going to be called Were You Even Listening? Are you even listening? And so on this segment, we're going to um, just field a couple of questions that were submitted to us by listeners, thoughts, 
um, that they brought up. Um, and these two uh, thoughts, Chris, are actually from a previous episode. Um, and so uh, Jason, who who reached out to the show, um, asked a question and, and offered a thought about um, the maternity leave episode that we mm-hmm. that we sent out uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and so we were talking about the difference in the maternity leaves between the two countries, potentially, you know, um, the logistics of those. Um, but Jason brought up a good point, which was that there's also a large financial aspect to having a child, being off on maternity leave and raising a child um, that maybe we didn't address, um, but is actually a very large component to a lot of people's decision making process. Um, and so, for example, in New York State, we talked about the paid family leave being a percentage of your salary. We talked about how in Canada, you know, there is the um, there is a kind of a benefits, um, you know, thing that is involved. Um, but for some people, that's not enough. For example, if you're a single parent or you have multiple children or you have lots of debts, uh, you know, student loans, business loans, things of that nature. And that percentage of your salary in a lot of people's cases isn't enough to cover the basic needs of life. Um, And so how do you balance then not working and receiving your full salary while also trying to support your current lifestyle, but then also your recent addition of a child? So uh, Chris, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Oh, sorry, Christian. What did you say? I wasn't listening. (laughs) Um, No, I... um... Yeah, it's a very, very important point, um, and I think it's. A you really- actually had me there. Sorry, I actually like when you kind of. I I can see you on the video here, like, and you leaned into the microphone, and I literally had a mini panic attack that I was just like, <laughs> "Oh, do I have to repeat all of that? Do we have to cut? Does Ryan have to edit that?" <laughs> and I literally got hit with the dad joke that I get people with. Uh, so well played, sir. Anyway, not, your not thoughts were lie. had me in the first half. Um, yeah, it's a good. It's a good question. Um, I mean, it's such an important question. You know, obviously, who this affects the most would be people who, for whom 50% of their salary uh, would not be sufficient, um, you know, with the child care benefits from the government to appropriately care for their child. And so there's this additional pressure to go back to work, perhaps if you don't, for example, have a second income in the house or, you know, other family members um, with support and you're on your own um, and you have to go back to work earlier. So it's not even just a matter of how long the government will support you for. It's a matter of whether that's even sufficient. And I think it's a great question. I mean, I I think, I, I mean, again, this is maybe the Canadian in me speaking, but I don't think that we want um, uh, a social safety net which has such large gaps in it, which has such large holes within the net um, for people who fall through. It seems counterintuitive to say we want universal maternity leave for everyone to be able to raise their children properly and to be able to do so in a safe and financially secure way. And then also say, ah, well, except for single moms uh, who don't have a very high salary, you know, they, they, you know, that doesn't matter for them. We want them to come back to work earlier. So if that's a gap in our system, I think it should be addressed. And I suppose it uh, kind of leads into a totally different topic, which is one that I will not dive into because we are not a politics podcast, but uh, the idea of a universal basic income and whether, um, whether as a mom, you know, your maternity leave benefit should essentially be flat regardless of what 
what your salary was before, or at the very least meets a minimum standard. I think if it was flat, you would have a lot of pushback from, you know, moms who have a, a well, well-paying job or a, or a successful career and, um, you know, have been paying fairly substantially into with their taxes and into, uh, into government programs and then not get that commiserate benefit out of it later. Um, so I think it's a difficult question, but I certainly think that we want a minimum standard, a minimum basic income for moms uh, to be able to afford those things. And I know we have some aspects of that here in Canada, like the child care benefits, for example, but, you know, they are a drop in the ocean and having a, having a child is expensive and you want all of those children to be at a level playing field from a very early age. So I think it's a very important topic that Jason raises. What, uh, what do you think about it, Christian? Well, I think that there is some inherent, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I was going to say selfishness. So in, from society, that is, and I think we've talked about this before, both us just kind of chatting off air, but then also in the podcast, which is it directly benefits society to produce good contributing members of society. And so I believe it is society's role to support in the initial stages. So in this case, we're talking about maternity leave and raising children, uh, you know, support them to make sure they have the best start to life that they can, because that in turn produces good, you know, teens, adults, and then, you know, society members who then in turn will pay it backwards. Right. And so, and contribute to society and whether we we're talking about that from a financial standpoint, from a, even just general good citizen standpoint, so I think that's very important. And you mentioned kind of the idea of, you know, the universal income, um, which I personally am a huge fan of, uh, but, and that, but then also the kind of differing aspects of the gap in the, the socioeconomic gap and how do we approach that from a uh, position of parenthood. Um, and I personally, and this is, I'm just one man's opinion, but I personally believe it is the role of those of us who make more money than the average adult to support those who don't. Um, and so that is my personal opinion. I personally am okay if my salary goes up, that more of that should be more percentage of that should be, you know, put into government and social programs. That's just me. I realize again, we're not a political podcast, so that's where I'll leave it. But I think it comes down to a basic point, which is nobody should have to make such life altering decisions, whether it's going back to work too soon because you're not physically and especially mentally healed from having a child. Um, and whether you have whatever postpartum issues, you know, we're from specifically from a, a, a motherhood standpoint, of course, um, you know, in those cases has been had your finances shouldn't have to dictate that. And I also don't think that it is solely, and I say this solely, the role of a parent to have to shoulder that burden themselves. Now, I'm not sitting here that I say I have the, the magic answer here, um, but that should not be, it, it, it saddens me really that it, that is such a fundamental part of all of this. Yeah, I mean I, I think to me I see it in fairly simple terms. I I mean you and I differ a little bit on some on on some certain issues, but I would say as a society, 
you know, certainly in Canada, we've we've decided that um, we can have a little bit of meritocracy and competition. And if I am more successful in my career in business, maybe my car will be a little bit nicer than yours. But we've decided that there are aspects of society for which that shouldn't apply. And obviously, the biggest example is healthcare. You know, we think that my heart disease shouldn't be treated any differently than someone who's more or less wealthy than me. You know, we all have heart disease. We should all get the same access to treatment for our heart disease. So we've said that healthcare is separate from those other aspects of society, how big your house is and so on. And to me, the question is just where where does maternity leave slot in? Do we see that as something that universally applies to everyone and they should have the same basic um, uh, provisions uh, for them? Or do we see it as something that fits into that, you know, if, if you... Uh, have have more money, you should be able to buy better care. Um, and of course, that question exists in every aspect of our lives. But to me, as we've talked about before, I don't think that it's a good, I don't think that it's good for a society to, for that to be the place that we apply competition and meritocracy that, right. you know, where, where your success and other aspects of life should define the head start that your, your child gets from an incredibly young and formative age. Because doesn't that just then increase the gap, right? Yeah, like if, yeah. if, if, if you and I, for example, are, are farther ahead in life, make more money, hypothetically, let's say if our child is already given that head start, then doesn't that just keep doesn't the rich just keep getting richer in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I would, I would. I realize we're delving into topics that, on a listener segment I, that really, you know, could be several episodes in and of themselves. But no, I mean, it's a good question. We probably should talk about it in a future episode. But I guess, I guess, you know, for me, I would say there's a line somewhere. I suppose, you know, like where like where does the line start and where does it end, you know? And where where do we, like we have two-tier education in public school. We have two-tier education in university. Um, is that right? Is that wrong? We have private daycares. You know, if you have more money, you can buy a better daycare or, or a not as good daycare. So where, you know, how do we, how and where do we draw that line as an ongoing discussion sure. uh, that we have in society? And I would say for me personally, I think that line certainly belongs on the other side of maternity leave somewhere, you know, wherever we draw that line. But I at think... least in a at least in a fundamentally basic level. Sure. Right? Like yeah. we talked about universal yeah. basic income, like you mentioned, healthcare, like heart disease is heart disease is heart disease. No matter what, how much money you make, you should be able to access the same care. And I believe that that for raising children um, specifically maturity leave, I believe fundamentally that that should also apply in, in whatever the specifics are of that. Again, we're not the, you know, finance minister of, of whatever, but, um, yeah, there should be some basic level of that. So that's a really good question by Jason, uh, which again, we could, we could probably have a month's worth of episodes on probably. But um, the next question that I was going to ask, which is kind of based on this a little bit, which is from another listener um, who actually is an educator of special needs children. And so the added aspect potentially of, okay, you have a child who you then find out has some type of, whether it's um, mental, physical, learning, what, whatever it happens to be, ends up needing some added level or unforeseen level of special needs or special care. And how does that factor in to the amount of care that you are given, the amount of benefits that you are given? Um, and I'll start off by saying I honestly don't know. Um, and that is something I should definitely educate myself on. But I thought it was a really good question because for a lot of people, they do not know 
Although with the advancements of medicine, we do know a little bit more about these things, but, you know, we don't necessarily know the level of care that our child will need. You know, we prepare with diapers and bottles and things, but we don't necessarily prepare for, you know, learning disabilities or physical and mental disabilities or developmental delays and all of these types of things. So what are your kind of, again, hmm. Don't have to get too specific into it necessarily, but what are your kind of general thoughts on that aspect of it? Boy, yeah, what a what a great question. I mean, and and I think one of the great things about hearing from listeners is a, an eye opening thing. You know, not something that you and I see in our day to day life, and so we're not sure. we don't address it. And then um, having your eyes open to that issue by someone else is really great, and and we love to keep hearing those um, opinions and perspectives. Um, I mean, intuitively. First off, saying that I, I have very little knowledge on the subject, um, I would say that intuitively, you know, we want to be able, you know, again, in the interests of the immediate childcare and maternity leave being setting up that uh, child for a life of future success, which we as a society all want, right? I mean, we all want the same thing. We all want people to be able to strive for success, um, you know, that that those people might need, you know, those mothers might need more time and, and more resources and more support. And it seems simple or perhaps somewhat obvious to me that there should be a differentiation there um, on the part of maternity leave uh, providers that that there is a greater allowance for time and financial resources and so on. Now, of course, I say that from the perspective of where in Canada and how wonderful it is that we can have 12 or even 18 months of job protected maternity leave with benefits. But what if you're in, you know, we have a mutual friend in Pennsylvania who gets, you know, six weeks, I think, right? And then back at work. How can you possibly... With no financial support. If right, I'm... right. And how, right. how can you effectively care for a special needs child during that time? Um, you know, maybe even raises the question, special needs doesn't end at age one or age two or age three. I mean, how long right. and how effectively do we continue that? I think it's such a great question. And I think intuitively to me, there, there should be some uh, allowance for that. Um, I just, uh, I, I would have to do more research on it to know, to, to form an opinion on what uh, I think the right approach is there. And I know that there are a lot of organizations, you know, that exist, charitable organizations, even some government run organizations, depending on where you are, that specifically address those types of issues. But you mentioned the question is raised, you know, people shouldn't I mean, again, I'm talking about this kind of dystopian kind of like perfect society where, you know, that obviously never exists, but, you know, people should not have to rely on those, ideally, mm, yeah. To, yeah, right, in order to yeah. raise their child. And like you mentioned, now, I am very thankful that all those places exist, support them heavily, of course, so that's that goes without saying. But like you mentioned, there should be some level of differentiation of allowance in order to accomplish that um not only from the success of the child um as they grow but as for the success of the parent and their ability to feel comfortable returning to work knowing that they are supported or you know this that and the other thing so i think it adds a completely different wrinkle um you know wrinkle to everything right um so really good questions by uh by, yeah. by them on that front absolutely i think uh, you know please hit us up dad joke loading podcast at gmail.com it was so great to have our first listener emails this week thank you to uh joseph for submitting the dad joke and then jason um and uh i believe ann was the last uh was the last uh call i was about to say caller like i'm on the radio call us at 1-800-DAD-JOKE don't don't call that number. I don't know who that is. Um, but thank you to <laughs> yeah, all we those. Actually, we actually have no idea who that is. I mean, <laughs> if you want to call it, but I mean, at your at uh, 
your own risk. And uh, judging by the emails here, all Ontario listeners. So uh, I think I'm going to take the three nothing lead on that one. Ah. And uh, we'll uh, hope to get some American listeners in the future. So thank you very much for joining us this week. Christian, I've had a great week, as always, uh, chatting with you. Um, yeah, good show. Yeah, nice to, nice to do it over coffee as well. Uh, maybe next time it'll be over a beer. We'll see. Uh, but always great to see your face and, and to hear you. Thank you very much for um, going thank over you, all Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. And thank you to all of you, uh, Dad Jokers, for, uh, for listening with us, being with us for another week. We're really excited to see you again um, and hear from you again next week. I'd like to extend some thanks, as always, Michael Spicer for the great music, Vishal Murthy, the vet cartoonist, our illustrator, our long-suffering producer, Ryan. Thank you so much for all all of your help, uh, especially as we sort out the wrinkles here in the early process. And uh, of course, um, perhaps most importantly, our wives, daughters, and I should say our moms and dads as well, but our moms, dads, wives, yeah. daughters, our whole family, and you, Christian, my good friend. So thank you very much. This has been another week of the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.